This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker, a career and executive coach, and today I welcome Craig Hall to the show. Craig, welcome. It's so good to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. I'm really excited. We're going to dive into a juicy conversation about democratizing entrepreneurship and bridging the opportunity gaps to reignite startups. You know, Craig, I found your book fascinating because I didn't realize that there is a decline in entrepreneurship. So what does it mean for the future of work in our economy? Because this seems like it could become a crisis. Well, I think it actually is a crisis. Uh, like you, I didn't realize it when I first heard uh, this, uh, which was in 2011. Uh, but as I dug into it, uh, we, we actually have been declining in startups for about 30 years in the United States, uh, particularly um, in things that are not those uh, uh, real exciting high-tech areas or biotech areas. And particularly for women, people of color, rural areas, uh, they really get the short end of the stick. Uh, the, the fact is we... Uh, we're starting about half as many businesses today as we started 30 years ago. Wow, that really is, uh, it is a crisis. And and thank you for correcting me. This has been ongoing for, for several decades. So what happens? What happens when our sense of in- innovation dies out and this entrepreneurial spirit declines? Does it does it cause uh, wreak havoc for the, for the global economy? Well, I think actually, I wouldn't necessarily say our innovation's declining. I think innovation at a big scale is alive and well. Uh, I think we are great with billion-dollar startups. Where we suffer is more traditional uh, startups, people who want to start a service business or people who uh, have a, a, a smaller product, an idea that might not be a home run, but it might be a good, uh, to use baseball, which I'm not not really that much of a baseball fan, but uh, it might be a single or a double, as you would say. But but uh, the traditional entrepreneur uh, has more difficulty. It's harder to raise $500,000 in many ways than it is to raise $100 million if you've got the right idea for $100 million. Well put. Now, in your book, you really talk so eloquently about bridging the opportunity gap. And I work a lot with millennials. Uh, By day, I am at uh, Indiana University. And it's fascinating to see how many young professionals are in the world right now. You know the statistic that in 2020, they will be well over 50% of the workforce. But this generation faces particular challenges. What about their role in startups? Well, you're absolutely right. They, they face a lot of challenges. And in fact, um, if you look at people under 30 today, uh, there's 65% fewer uh, businesses owned by people under uh, 30 today than, than there were uh, uh, 30 years ago. And that's part of the problem, certainly a big part of the problem. And many students uh, today, many millennials, uh, have student debt. Uh, Many of them uh, don't own a home, and it used to be uh, that owning a home gave you a chance to borrow against your equity, and that was a way that you could finance a new business. And a lot of them are just plain scared of taking risk because they saw what happened in 2008 and 2009, and they're uh, going for the safety. Yeah, I hear that loud and clearly. You know, they experienced the, the most recent recession through the eyes of their parents, and it was really impactful. 
you know, I'm curious too about geography because I, I do uh, have home base in the Midwest and we are seeing uh, great strides in entrepreneurship, especially in the tech industry, which is non-traditional. You know, Silicon Valley and and the coasts have typically been the tech startup uh, geographies. Does geography matter when starting a business these days? Uh, it, it shouldn't as much as it does. Uh, the, the fact is that uh, if you need money, uh, the, the money and, and most of the startups go to uh, Silicon Valley, New York, Boston. Uh, but that's hopefully starting to change. Um, it's not a, when I say that startups are in trouble and are down, it's not a simple situation. There's good things that are happening at the same time as the overall um, concern about a decline in the number of new businesses uh, is certainly a crisis. But there are things happening in the Midwest, and there are things happening in in uh, areas that uh, we all should applaud and be very happy to see the nonprofits getting involved. And a number of people are trying to do things that are helpful. So let's talk about the positive. What does it take for a business to sur- survive? And let's go even farther. What about thriving? Right, not just getting by, especially in this tough climate. What's some some wisdom that you can share? Well, the first thing I would say is that it is all about uh, surviving until you thrive. And uh, to me, uh, a lot of people, particularly women, don't realize how important, uh, and I know this is something you talk about and do do so well, how uh, they don't realize their own values and they don't realize how, how important it is that they uh, believe in themselves. Uh, I was talking with a, a young entrepreneur uh, who I, I wish I could give you her name, but but uh, I'm in the middle of a discussion with her that I know is uh, confidential, but I'll just describe her. She's got the start of a great business, and she was telling me her plans, and she said, you know, I've got this other person that I'm going to let become the CEO because I know my limitations. And I said, wait a minute, it's your business. You should stay the CEO, and, uh, you know, don't sell yourself short. And I think sometimes women in particular don't realize how uh, – how good they can be and how good they are. And uh, they ought to just uh, follow through that survival part's hard. It's a lot of work, but the thriving part comes along on its own. And all of a sudden things can turn real good. You just have to live long enough and work hard enough. I'm so grateful that you're championing her and I'm sure she is as well. So thank you for your coaching there. And perfect segue, this is near and dear to my heart. How can we empower female and minority startups and provide them with more opportunity in you know this very competitive market, especially for funding? Well, uh, first of all, I think what you do is really helpful and really empowering. When you uh, coach and mentor and speak about uh, uh, women and, and their abilities, that's a, a great uh, starting point. And I certainly do everything I can to encourage um, women. We're also through uh, our foundation, I'm doing some things to uh, help fund uh, looking at nonprofits and individual entrepreneurship uh, for women and people of color. But beyond that, on a broader basis, I think uh, we need some federal policy that will uh, encourage investment in startups that are smaller for all startups, but with particular uh, incentives uh, to emphasize startups for women. And uh, I think that uh, a lot of this can be done through our tax laws. We use our tax laws to incentivize real estate investment. Why not incentivize uh, people to start new businesses in uh, Midwest of America and throughout America? You know, that is a really good point, Craig. And I know in the book you talk about 
what you call popular and also political decisions and how do we make sure that they're guided by by truth rather than deceit so my question is how do we work better together toward the greater good to empower entrepreneurs you know i think we need to start with uh, getting the facts out and shining a light on the problem uh, but I never want anyone to use the problem. I worry when I wrote a book, uh, when I wrote this book and I talked about problems, I say in the first uh, part of the book, uh, kind of an author's note, this is not an excuse to not go out and, and start something now. You can't wait for the environment to be perfect. You have to, uh, as an entrepreneur, jump uh, out there and take the, the, the first step and the second step and take the risk. That aside, uh, we ought to all... Uh, bring it to the attention of our elected officials, and we ought to, to get the issues and the challenges faced by women and others uh, to the forefront so we can start talking about solutions. And there are a lot of solutions, some of which are uh, being worked on by people now, but many of which are not and, and, and should be. Excellent. Good wisdom. Craig, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to learn more about. We want this podcast to serve you in all of your career and life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedoubthiggins.com. So, Craig, I live in a community that is very passionate about shopping local and supporting local businesses from restaurants to shops and even um, small hotels that are run in our community. But I also know that they're competing with the large big box stores and certainly online. So how do these two entities, the, the smaller entrepreneurs, coexist with the big box stores? And, and why does this even matter? Well, first of all, I think local things are great and they do matter. On the other hand, I also believe the consumer deserves uh, to get the, the best. And the best for the consumer is partly price and partly quality and partly what makes them feel good. And I think today people enjoy knowing where their produce comes from, knowing something about uh, the the community and, and making – there's a, a feel-good factor that's important to many consumers – uh, and but beyond that, um, quality is very important. And a lot of times, local products can be uh, much better quality. So I, I think you you need to, as a business, look at what your niche is and play to your strengths, and not try to compete with things that uh, you can't compete with. There are uh, factories and places that have the less expensive labor and maybe more ability to make things uh, faster, cheaper, better in some ways, but not necessarily in all ways. So find out the niches that you can do that's better than them. Nice. You know, when I read your book, uh, what really struck me was your focus on what you call leveling the playing field for entrepreneurs. And you went on to say, to safeguard the future of the American dream. So first, how do we level the playing field? And, and do you think the American dream has changed? I think the American dream, let me start uh, uh, with the last part. I think the American dream is, is, is in um, some je great jeopardy and, and it has changed. 
when I started my business, which was a, a little over 50 years ago, um, despite the fact that entrepreneurship wasn't as talked about or as well known, we didn't have a Shark Tank as a television show. Despite all that, it was a lot easier to start a business. It was a time when um, we had less regulation, we had uh, uh, more availability of capital, and um, today we rank 53rd by the World Bank in uh, ease of starting a new business in terms of countries. It's easier in Russian France. So that's a problem. And uh, I think there are things that we can and should do to change it so that we have an American dream that is for the greater middle class, not just for a few elitists. Right now, we seem to, have, as a country over the last uh, 30, 40, 50 years, consolidated into where big companies and big control so many industries. And we need to level the playing field by creating policies and laws that encourage at the same time as we have big to have new and new and startups. You know, the lobbyists do a great job for these big guys, but what about everybody else? And and that's kind of why I wrote the book. Not kind of, that's why. Excellent. So let me let me dig a little there, right? So what about on the local level? What can we do in our respective communities? And and I get on the national level, we need to nudge our our Congress people, our senators to to impact change. But what about on a local level? How how might we get involved? What kinds of things should we be looking out for? Well, uh, give you a very specific example. Uh, I just met with a uh, fund um, yesterday in in Texas. It's been in business twenty five years. And they make loans, their average loan size is $25,000, and they make loans to small, very small business people. Uh, and they are getting some, they, they, have, they, they've, um, they make about $35 million in loans a year. Well, they, they get that money through foundations, individuals, and uh, some not so easy to do government programs. But local governments could tap into well-run nonprofits and help them give new businesses capital and uh, as well as access to mentorship, as well as access to just uh, general uh, uh, places to start. There's a lot of things that some local governments have done well. In in the book, I have in the back an appendix of nonprofits and uh, and some government programs and some educational programs. There are some local things that are being done. Frankly, that's all great, but we still need federal national policy as well. You know what I'm seeing happen organically in uh, communities? I'm seeing business incubators with mentorship and uh, coaches who are helping people grow their businesses through the very early stages, some co-working spaces so people can afford uh, to come together for meetings and, and have some shared office technology. And I think those are also moving the needle. Would you agree? I totally agree. I think, you know, that's what's exciting uh, in in. In the book, when I found out there was a problem, I thought, well, um, gee, it must be everything's terrible. Well, everything's not terrible. There's some very good things going on. And in the book, I try to present kind of the good, the bad, and how we can make things better. And uh, uh, I applaud, uh, you know, places that uh, help startups and uh, people and nonprofits. There's some real, it just shows me the level of concern in our country and the level of desire to help have the American dream. And yet, as we've talked about earlier, millennials are still risk adverse. 
I think we need to do things about the student debt problem. I think we need to do things to make that path toward the American dream and toward startups even easier and, and uh, step up our game. But it's good to see there are things that are being done. I couldn't agree more. And and I love uh, the nod to what you call corporate Darwinism, right? Survival of the fittest. And I'd love to dig a little deeper in that and ask you how technology and AI, artificial intelligence, how are they influencing the future, not only for the main street entrepreneur, right? But but the big box. I mean, this is changing the landscape. It, it is. And part of what it'll do for the bigger companies is it'll uh, lower their costs, it'll improve their efficiency, and it'll make them even more competitive. Uh, that's not necessarily good for the little guy that uh, is trying to carve out a niche, but if you can find a specific area, um, there will even be technology and things that can help you. The problem is uh, it's going to eliminate a lot of uh, jobs that we currently have, and while it will be replaced with new jobs, uh, to learn those skills and to take those new jobs. And the same thing goes for entrepreneurs to start new companies that involve some of the new technologies that are going to come from artificial intelligence uh, is going to be quite a transition. It's it's going to have opportunities and a lot of pitfalls. You know, from my vantage point, Craig, as a career coach, I often see young talent, again, our millennial professionals who leave startups because they are risk averse, something you just mentioned, they are looking for something that's more secure or perhaps has the benefits of healthcare and retirement. And, and many early young companies don't have that. So there's a, a dire need to retain talent, especially women and minorities. How do we change this? How do, how do we encourage people to stick with it, as you said, and survive so they can thrive? Well, I think uh, from a, a broader uh, big picture policy, and these things don't happen overnight, but I think healthcare does need to be addressed. So they, they need to have some uh, a safety net of healthcare. I think uh, student debt has to be addressed. Uh, I think that there are things that we could do to suspend and or uh, reduce student debt if someone is uh, gainfully working in a startup uh, as an early stage uh, founder. Uh, and I think that um, overall, we we need to let people understand that uh, it's okay. It's especially good to try things when you're young and, you know, to fail uh, when you're 19, 20, 21, it's not a big deal. If you, if you try something and it doesn't work, you can pick yourself up and change it a bit and try the next plan. Many very successful companies have done what they call pivoting. They've changed from one idea to another maybe several times before they finally get the right thing that just takes off. You know, I'm so grateful to mention that you mentioned that fail forward, right? We, we make mistakes, we pick ourselves up and really have to focus on the resilience. Might you be willing to share a mistake that you made early on as a green entrepreneur and how you bounced back? How did you recover? Well, I've made so many mistakes. It's, it's, it's hard to, uh, hard to start. Um, you know, my very first building when I was 18, I bought a building and I found out that the seller had uh, uh, not told me the truth about a lease, and I had to uh, sue him. And so I'm here. I am, 18 years old. My first uh, rooming house. I bought it with four thousand dollars I had saved from age eight to age 18. And then I'm losing money because 
I thought uh, I was supposed to be getting $400 a month in rent, and I was only getting $70 for the biggest apartment. I remember the numbers. It was 51 years ago, and I remember it like yesterday. And, you know, I in, there were moments when I panicked, and I thought, you know, it's I'm going to be broke at uh, age 19. And um, I went to a lawyer. I got advice, and, you know, I worked my way through it, and I ended up filing my first lawsuit and I ended up settling my first lawsuit and life goes on. And it's just one of many times I have been through some horrific, horrible, long-term, uh, you know, downturns. And, um, you can survive things if you just take it a step at a time and keep on going. That's awesome. You are a testimony to recovery and resilience. Well done. So, Craig, as we bring this episode to a close, perhaps you'd share a few tips you learned along the way that might help someone listening who is an aspiring or uh, an early entrepreneur. Well, I guess the first thing I would say is uh, just jump in and don't don't be afraid. Um, you you know, uh, it is about survival. There aren't any shortcuts. Uh, it's, and you'll know very quickly, it, it's just the most fun thing in the world to be an entrepreneur. And it's not for everyone, but, uh, uh, you know, I did, I, when I started, I did it because I wanted to prove a point and I had no plan to be in business, but I just feel like I'm the luckiest person in the world. It's just been such a great ride. Uh, and I, I would urge anyone who has any inkling or interest, jump in. There's so many people you can reach to for help and uh, have fun. Just just enjoy yourself. Well, Craig, your, your enthusiasm is infectious, and I'm so grateful that you shared your wisdom and expertise. Let me tell everybody about your book. It's called Boom, Bridging the Opportunity Gap to Reignite Startups. And of course, it's available on Amazon and major book retailers. And I'm sure our global listeners will be eager to get that on their bookshelf soon. But thank you so much for joining me today. I learned a lot, and it was a joy to have you on the show. Thank you. I, I enjoyed it. And uh, congratulations on all you do to help uh, so many people. Thank you so much. Thank you, Craig. And to all of you listening, if you like the show, subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud and even better, leave a review because that helps people find us online. And let us know what career-minded issues you'd like to hear on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.